Up next on NHL Fantasy on Ice, Pete and Rob preview the Stanley Cup Final and try to continue lining pockets. Keys, X-Factors, Sleepers, Matchup Advantages, and Predictions. Who will lift the cup and why? It's the Stanley Cup Final Preview Edition of NHL Fantasy on Ice. What's up, everybody? Pete and Rob here with you for a Stanley Cup Final Preview Edition of NHL Fantasy on Ice. Rob, so much has changed since we last talked. Last time we talked, St. Louis Blues were down 2-1 in the series. The rest has shocked everybody, and they belong here in the Stanley Cup Final. I think we could all agree on that. I definitely agree with you and everybody else too, Pete. That was a wonderful performance by the Blues to close that thing out. And you know what? It's It really goes beyond just their rookie goalie in Jordan Bennington. Their forwards all stepped up and played well. Their defense was all contributing. Next man up mentality without Vince Dunn in the lineup. So really impressed to see the Blues do that. How good was Vladimir Tarasenko in this series, by the way? We were kind of knocking him entering the series that we hadn't seen the very best of Tarasenko at any point in his playoff career, to be frank. But he had a point in every single game of this series and scored a big power play goal in game six. I mean, the San Jose Sharks were beleaguered, injury depleted. Three of their five best players were out for game six. So maybe we shouldn't be too surprised at the result in game six, although the Sharks did play well. But I think that... Tarasenko cashing in on that power play and the resurgence of of St. Louis's power play was huge in this series. And also Tarasenko's playmaking ability. He ended up with multiple assists in the series too, so it wasn't just the goals were going in for him. He was dishing some nice passes as well, so great to see Vladdy get going. And then Braden Shen kind of stepping up there. Ryan O'Reilly also stepping up too at the end. Like Those are two players that we haven't seen play consistently in the playoffs. It's usually one one or the other, but not both. So I'm curious to see now if they both do continue to play well at the same time, what their next gear is. It's so true on Ryan O'Reilly. Like I picked him on the network uh, on Tuesday for game six, so I loved that he had three assists and had his best game of the playoffs. But when you look at the regular season, we could both agree that he was their best player through and through, led them in assists, led them in points, and he was like tied for third on the team among forwards in mm-hmm. points entering game six. So that next step for the offense if O'Reilly's going, if Shen is keeps going, he ended a 14-game goal drought in the playoffs. I mean, the sky's the limit for them, and they have a big challenge ahead against Boston, but they need those top two centers working to compete with guys like Bergeron and Krejci. Agreed. I mean, they might need three centers, including Bozak, to play well, too, because of Coyle and the Bruins. But let's spend another minute just maybe talking about the Sharks, too, and what we think is left out of them heading into the next season. Obviously, we know that they have an aging core. They have a couple UFAs, Joe Thornton, Pavelski, Carlson are huge names, all without contracts beyond July 1st. So do you have a sense, Pete, of of what this team may be looking like next year, or is it too early to tell? It's a little too early to tell. Another UFA is Nyquist, mm-hmm. who's playing in the top six in the playoffs, so another significant blow if they lose him. 
And again, this team has parted ways with its next two, I think, first round picks. So this is a here and now team that is now going to look a lot different come next season. I do believe Pavelski. I mean, hopefully he's in good health. He had the head injury, had another head injury here. So he's 34 years old. I expect him to be back with the Sharks when it's all said and done. But he's old. Brent Burns is old, 34. Joe Thornton, you don't know. You got the sense maybe that was the end last night. I don't think it's a ending that he wanted and I think he could still maybe give them another year but this is a team that will be run from here and moving forward by three players Logan Couture Tomas Hurdle who missed game six because of injury and Timo Meyer. to me that is the core that is going to move this team forward I'm curious to see what happens with Evander Kane next season in fantasy I know that his playoff performance I think you just kind of wanted a little bit more out of him. Not that it it's it's one player's fault or another when a team loses. It's it's the team in general. But I do think Evander Kane was a guy that I looked at multiple times in this series and thought, okay, this is his opportunity to have a big game, to take this one over. And I don't necessarily think he did that, especially in game six. Obviously, you know, you can point to a number of factors, especially with how injured the Sharks were. But still, that was a guy that I kind of looked at thinking, okay, this might be his stage to really present himself as that elite option for the Sharks. It didn't really play out that way. And he had the high shot volume that he always had. He hit a couple of posts in the series. He didn't really, he was not an offensive factor in any of the three playoff rounds. I know he had like eight points, but it just didn't seem like he ever had a game that made it, ever ever had a performance in this postseason that made a difference in the result of the game, which is definitely concerning considering the money they have invested in him. We'll see, we'll see if he was playing with an injury or or whatever sometimes they disclose it sometimes they don't but yeah Evander Kane's performance was a big concern moving forward and especially that he was playing mostly on a line with Hurdle I mean they have to find the right combinations now and it doesn't help that pretty much every year first year first round second round you're going to run into the Vegas Golden Knights who uh, you can't imagine would ever lose to the Sharks uh, next season if they met again no I can't imagine I think Pete DeBoer and Gerard Gallant should make uh, should break bread this summer and make a <laughs> for their their little sparring back and forth in the media in round one because I, I do think Vegas is going to have the upper hand next year. I wouldn't count on that <laughs> happening, let me tell you that. But yeah, the San Jose Sharks, um, what can you say? I mean, they, uh, they held the Blues without a shot for... Uh, 12 plus minutes of the third period mm -hmm. and that's something I want to focus on here in this episode the Blues deserve to be here their resiliency after that controversial hand pass or whatever call in game three uh, speaks volumes about what they've been able to do this season because this is a team that was down and out in January, last place, down and out after they lost their first two home games in the first round against Winnipeg, down and out after they lost game five at home to the Dallas Stars in the second round. So they deserve to be here. They've been as resilient as anybody, but they are going to need to be a hell of a lot better than they were to close out a series if they even want to win one game against the Boston Bruins, in my opinion. So let's talk about this series. It'll kick off Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time, two really battle-tested and proven teams going head-to-head. -head. Now, what's interesting on paper is they've both scored the exact same amount of goals in the playoffs, so they each have 57 there. Now, St. Louis, I believe, has played two additional games, but still, that's pretty impressive when you consider that those teams, I mean, their offenses are pretty much firing on all cylinders. And then on the other side... 
the Barbashev line with um, and then the Bozak line. These guys, these guys were scoring almost every game in the series against the Sharks for St. Louis. Yeah, it, it's really impressive, especially that Barbashev line kind of emerged. They were quiet through the first two rounds, excluding some like plays here and there. But they really had a presence in the San Jose series. Every time they were on the ice, they were doing something, generating chances. Now, the difference here is that Boston's has allowed 15 fewer goals in the playoffs. It's 15 than St. Louis. So, obviously, a big edge in goaltending. Now, I know that Bennington, you did, I'm not taking anything away from his performance thus far in the playoffs. It's been great. But what I'm saying here is Tuka Rask, who has a 942 save percentage entering the Stanley Cup final, is really the Con Smythe early favorite and, to me, the MVP of the playoffs so far. No doubt. And he's won seven games in a row here against, I mean, they swept the Carolina Hurricanes. You're not sweeping the Carolina Hurricanes if Tuka Rask isn't playing that well. No doubt about that. And yeah, Tuka Rask has been here before. He was the backup. He watched Tim Thomas win the cup in 2011, then got his own opportunity. And I was looking back at his save percentage in that series in 2013 when he was the starter. He had a 932 save percentage, so you can't knock him for that series loss. And that was the one that Chicago pulled Mm -hmm. off that crazy comeback at the end of whatever it was, game six on the road. So, yeah, Tuka Rask, I think, is coming into his own here, and I think he has a big matchup advantage over Jordan Bennington. I think that's just the reality of the situation. It is a reality, and I think, too, like when you look at maybe their defenses, you know, who's playing in front of the goaltender, the one injury concern that Boston has heading into the series is Dan Chara, but... I, you know, just with his longevity in the career and sort of the pedigree that he has, there's no way he's not playing game one. I mean, that would just be that would be shocking to me if he didn't suit up for that game. And then on St. Louis' side, it's Vince Dunn, who took that puck up high. I think it was in game four or five in the Western Conference final against San Jose. And his status is unknown. So that would actually be a pretty big blow. Now, it didn't affect them in Game 6, St. Louis, but I do think in a seven-game series against Boston, look, Vince Dunn's got seven points in the playoffs. He plays time on either the top or the second power play unit, depending on what Berube's got out that day. So that is going to affect them if he does miss time. Yeah, I think they were just probably being cautious with the elderly Chara in a game that they probably would have won with or without him in Game 4. They pretty much had that series in the bag entering Game four against the Hurricanes but yeah I like I think the defenses are actually pretty even I like what I've seen from the younger guys on Boston side Carlo Grizzlick of course Tori Krug has been producing and Charlie McAvoy um Hopefully he won't be suspended for any of these games. Hopefully Brad Marchand won't be suspended for any of these games either because I think the discipline, a, a big reason why um, St. Louis beat the Sharks was the physicality. Mm-hmm. They wore them down, maybe caused a couple of injuries with some of those big hits. But, yeah, I think Marchand sets the tone here with the physical edge. If he's disciplined, if he's scoring at a point per game, Boston's not going to lose this series. So it's the challenge of St. Louis to get under his skin. And what's interesting, too, about these these sort of matchups is that the St. Louis D is actually combined for 44 points in the playoffs. Boston's combined for 35. And I think we do, you and I at least, Pete, spend a lot of time talking about, wow, Boston's getting a lot of contributions from their back end. But really, on paper, St. Louis's back end has really taken another step this postseason thanks to Colton Perico kind of bouncing back after a slow regular season. 
Vince Dunn kind of continuing to fly under the radar but producing. Uh, Jay Bowmeister contributing when it matters most. And then Alex Petrangelo, obviously. So I do think those guys, you mentioned Brad Marchand, all those guys on St. Louis, instead of maybe producing offensively, their roles might be changing a little bit to containing Boston's high-end forwards, Marchand, Pasternak, Bergeron. And another advantage for Boston are those high-end forwards, but it'll be the challenge of of uh, Alex Petrangelo, who has a Blues single-season point by a defenseman record right now with 13 points in 19 games, so that's really impressive. But he's going to be counted on on the defensive end as well against that top line. I think Boston's top three are better than even as good as Tarasenko and Schwartz have been on the same line. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen enough to think that that line can outperform Boston's over six or seven games. And to be honest, the top three of Boston that also plays on their first power play unit, they're firing at 34% on the power play in the playoffs compared to St. Louis, who's firing at just a sliver over 19% at 19.4. So right there, I mean, you don't have to be, you don't know the X's and the O's. You don't have to be a coach. You don't have to be a scout to know that the Boston power play is significantly more dangerous than St. Louis. And Boston was precise as you could be in both special teams areas in their series against Carolina. 7 for 15 on the power play, 47%, and their PK went 92.8%. They only allowed one power play goal, which was very early <laughs> in that series. Remember game one. Right. So they just shut the door the <laughs> completely the rest of the way. I think that St. Louis has more and better horses than Carolina does, no doubt. But this is going to be uphill, I think, from the beginning. Well, it's funny because Carolina's power play was coming in that series firing at just 10%. So the fact that St. Louis is both, you know, got boasting the 20% basically coming into the final. Hey, that's that is definitely better than Carolina's. So it will be interesting to see maybe if St. Louis does get that chemistry on the power play in game 1 or game 2. Maybe that makes a difference for them, mentally at least, to, to, to have them sustain that over the full seven-game series. And St. Louis had four power play goals from games four through six, so they weren't. both power plays weren't looking so hot. And that's another thing with the Sharks, by the way. What happened to that power? How did, I, was, I, I subtracted, so they were like two for 21, the Sharks, on the power play on the road in the whole playoffs. And then at home, if you take away that four-goal power play burst, they were operating at about 10% at home. So I don't know how that happens with so much talent. Um, that's a head-scratcher to me, how they were so bad on the power play all postseason long. It's one of the greatest mysteries of the world right <laughs> now, <laughs> the fact that that can happen. But when I do look at these two teams a little bit deeper on paper, you've got to talk about Jaden Schwartz for the Blues, who's their leading scorer with 16 points in the postseason. I think you and I can agree he's one of the biggest risers in terms of fantasy value heading into next year. But I just, I just don't think that, and again, there's nothing with against Jane Schwartz here, but he's simply just not in that pedigree that Marshan, Bergeron, and Pasternak are. It's a great story. I mean, he's, he's eclipsed his regular season goal total in the postseason so far in probably one-fifth of the number of games. So, yeah, he was a big reason why they won game four. Game five had the hat trick. Uh, that was a bloodbath, by the way, that game. That was the reason why St. Louis won this series. They blew the doors off of San Jose in game five. 
It was that noon start for the Sharks in their own building, kind of a rare thing for them. But they took full advantage. The Sharks were injured after that game, banged up. And Jaden Schwartz with the hat trick, seven shots on goal. They're going to need more of that. They might need a hat trick again from Jaden Schwartz in, at some point in this series to win it because he had a hat trick in the first round and then again in the third round. I was just going to mention, he was the reason they, they won some of those games in Winnipeg too, Jaden Schwartz. Yep. Single-handedly at the end of the at series. The end of the series. Yeah. He just elevated his play, got the goals, and shut that thing out. So the way that I'm reading this is he's probably going to need to do that again against Boston, or it's going to have to be Tarasenko, O'Reilly, or Shen. I'm just not seeing a David Perron doing that. I'm not seeing their third-line guys doing that. I'm seeing either Schwartz, Tarasenko, O'Reilly, or Shen doing that. It's okay, though, if the Blues get multi-point games from different guys in different games. They just can't have extended droughts. They need consistency. I mean, look at David Krejci for the Bruins, just to single one guy out. The guy's played in two cup finals before. He's about a point per game over those spans. And he has uh, seven straight games with a point, I believe, and thirteen, at least a point in 13 of his past 15 games. So that's a secondary scorer for Boston that's getting it done almost every single night. So you need more consistency or you need to spread it out and get those contributions throughout your lineup like they did the last round. Do you think the rest factor has any any cause of concern for Boston? They they finished their series against Carolina last week now. They've been sitting around, they've been scrimmaging at practice to try and get that competitive juice flowing. Now, the other thing is, though, St. Louis also finished their series on Tuesday night, and they won't play again until Monday. So both teams are going to kind of go through that little lull. Does that sway you either way? No, because of what you just said, the fact that both teams are dealing with that. And Boston has... Uh, you know, been banged up at different points. I still think that guys like Bergeron and Pasternak have been battling injuries and through their production trends in the postseason. Chara is going to get back to full strength, hopefully for their sake. And Tuka Rask, I mean, the story with him and why he's been so good this postseason is because he's well-rested, I think. He didn't have to play, what did he play, 40, 50 games? Halak mm-hmm. played so well in the regular season, spared him some rest. So I think that Tuka Rask is better off when he's well rested when he's sharp and I, I expect him to be that in game one I I, I kind of see the same thing happening I mean it's just hard to to sit here on this day looking at his stats looking at his highlight reel and then try and make a case that Tuka Rask is all of a sudden going to fall back down to a much lower standard in the Stanley Cup final especially too because I think the experience you mentioned from beforehand when they played Chicago I think just that muscle memory, so to speak, of coming up and getting that 931 save percentage when the games mattered the most, I think that probably goes a long way for a goaltender's confidence this time of year. And, I mean, St. Louis, another another factor, I think, that works to Boston's advantage is just the experience factor in the Stanley Cup final. All their core players have been there before, with the exception of Pasternak. Marshan's played in two. Krejci's played in two. Chara's played in two. Bergeron's played in two. Krug played in one as a rookie in 2013. And Tuka Rask also played in one in 2013. With all that said, though, St. Louis has overcome just about everything a team can possibly overcome in one single season alone. So you look back at December when they were last placed in the league, the coaching change they made, Craig Berube coming in to be their head coach, stepping up, rallying that team, their goaltender switch. I mean, we were 
were talking about Chad Johnson, a backup goaltender that had started for them early in the season. You know, he's not even on the roster anymore. So this team has just had a complete upheaval, totally different looking team. And I think one of the things that's most underrated about St. Louis is their cohesion in the locker room. I think when you watch, I have not been in any of the scrums personally, but when you watch these on TV, you can just see how friendly the guys are with one another. You get that you get that sort of vibe that it really is a tight-knit group, that they're all playing for each other. So I really do think Boston, yes, the experience factor is there, but I think St. Louis has something really special this year. They definitely do, and we talked about it after Game 3. You said you liked their mindset in the locker room. That was, that was something that could destroy a group of grown men, the way that that game ended and the uh, toll that took mentally on the group, or it could have taken on many groups, but it didn't. I mean, they couldn't have been much better than they were over the following three games following that. So, yeah, that's really special uh, to look at how things changed in the midst of that series. And, yeah, the coaching change, man. It's, is Mike Yo even watching these games? I mean, it's crazy yeah, yeah. that he... That he was the coach at the beginning of the season, Craig Berube, uh, probably making the Flyers look a little. They hired mm-hmm. uh, Mike Yo as their assistant just now, and Craig Berube is their former coach. So it doesn't make the Flyers look that good at all. Yeah, that that's interesting. That that when you kind of go through that coaching web in the NHL and see where these guys were formerly. But I think with everything that we've spoke about today, I, I would have to say that I am on the the edge of Boston here. I think their experience number one, their top line is just that much better, and their special teams are that much better. Their goaltenders a little bit better. I will have to side with the Bruins in this series. I'm going to take them in a seven-game series. So I've got Bruins in seven. Big credit to St. Louis, though, too. I don't think they're going to go down without a fight. But I just think all the cards right now, Bruins got a really favorable hand. It's just a matter of if they play it or if they if they call. I mean, I fully expect St. Louis to win one of the first two. That seems like what they've been able to do lately. So I just think that the Bruins will win the series as well. I think it'll probably go six. I got Bruins in six. I got Tuka Rask as the Con Smythe winner. I think he's it's every opportunity for him to do this. And it's the time in his career to shed off all the negativity and um, finish what he started. I mean, they're here because of him. They're here this quickly because of him. And I really like uh, his prospects for this series. So, I mean, in terms of the coaching matchup, I mean, it's interesting to also look at uh, the fact that both of these guys were formerly interim coaches, I think. Cassidy took over two and a half years ago and has solidified himself as the head coach. And then Barubi took over earlier in the season. Do you like one coach more than the other this time of year? I mean, I think that Cassidy has shown me a little bit more just because he's been here for so much longer. I would actually give the edge to Barubi just because of how impressive it was for him to come in there and make such a stark change. I mean, there was almost like a defining day on the calendar that that Blues team, something changed significantly. And all the credit to me deserves to go to Craig Berube. So I would certainly give him the edge, and especially as you brought up that great point earlier about how after Game 3 against San Jose, it kind of seemed a little bit gloom for, for St. Louis. The fact that he had those guys 10 minutes off the ice and already thinking about the next opportunity, the next game, go get that next one. That to me is the sign of probably the most mentally tough team in the league. So I think that everything XO's wise and mental game, I've got to give the hand to Craig Berube. 
One thing on Boston's side that I look back to is what happened entering game after they lost that game five to Toronto in the first round. That was another potential breaking point and something. And that was right at, right around the time where Tampa Bay got swept. I mean, all these top teams are falling. Boston was going to be the next top team to fall apart and crumble under pressure. But they were able to uh, come back from the dead, win that series. And I think we look back to that series on this morning and say, you know, Toronto might have been here had they won that series. And they had a chance to win that series, many chances. One last thought on that. Do you think that Boston maybe played their hardest round in round one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do. Even even comparing them to uh, what they're going to see with the St. Louis Blues. I, I love the St. Louis Blues. I love their story. I love their resiliency. I love their depth. That said, I think that Toronto, even just to compare them to Toronto, not to mention Tampa Bay, who they didn't have to face. Toronto has some elite, so many elite players. I mean, I don't see that on St. Louis's side, to be honest. And not to get lost in the sea of hypotheticals here, but the fact that Boston didn't have to play Tampa Bay in round two, I mean... It was huge. And nothing against Columbus. But but that Tampa team, on paper at least, regardless of what was going on in the locker room or, or whatever they lost... But that team was a Goliath, if you think about it. So the fact that Boston, kind of everything fell in the right favor for them, getting out that Game 7 performance against Toronto, where they really put their foot down, didn't let Toronto's top guys breathe too much, I really believe that they did gain a lot from that, and that's what kind of propelled them forward. But we'll see. It's, that's a long time ago. That's a long time. In the, in the hockey calendar, that is a long time ago. So we'll see if they still have that. Or maybe, you know what, after sweeping Carolina in four games, making quick work out of them, maybe there's an opportunity for St. Louis to pounce on one of the first or second game and really set the tone that says this is going to be a long series. Well, Jordan Bennington, I mean, he had that shutout in Game 5. He's been great on the road. What's your, what are your feelings about him? We know that Rask has the advantage, but is this guy, has he shown you enough to, to show that he's good enough to steal a game in Boston, one of the first two, and maybe turn the tide in this series? I mean, rookie goalies don't get to the Cup Final on their own very often. There's a couple of rookie goalies like Matt Murray, Cam Ward. I think there's only five all-time that have – won their team's first 12 games, which Bennington has done. I don't think there's any concern for Bennington. Now, I've been in the boat throughout the playoffs where I thought, you know, maybe that one game against Winnipeg when he kind of got shelled. Okay, let's look at the next game. You're a little worried. The rookie's going back out there against big dogs, Patrick Laine, Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler. Nope, shuts the door on him. Absolute done, end of series, throw it away for the Winnipeg Jets. Then you had him in round three against San Jose. When San Jose gets that kind of whatever you want to call that goal, the Eric Carlson goal, okay, controversial. But the fact that Bennington even kind of came unhinged at the end of the game was slamming his stick onto the net, into the boards after the call was made. But the fact that he stepped up in the next game and made big saves when it mattered. I'm not talking about his save percentage. I'm talking about just making timely stops in a game. That, to me, solidifies him as a mentally strong goalie heading into the Stanley Cup Final. And even the last game when the Sharks were depleted, I really feel on this morning that they played. I was surprised that the Blues didn't play better yesterday, and I think that Bennington shut that door. I mean, sure, there were some good chances for the Sharks, but Bennington was there when they needed him. It doesn't matter if he, he doesn't need to make 35 saves because the Blues have a strong defense. 
If he makes 26 to 28 saves and they're good, strong saves, timely saves, that's all the Blues need. They don't need him to steal a game. They just need him to bail them out when they need it. And he will. He reminds me of Braden Holtby in that way where there will be that one defining save in a game that swings the whole game in favor of the Blues. So I think for me the key for the Blues to win this series and actually kind of what I would say make the upset would be physicality. And I think we you mentioned a little bit earlier with Brad Marchand, I think if you play those guys, their top guys really physical, you put the big body on those guys and you get them out of that offensive cycle, that's the key. If you get Brad Marchand unhinged to the point where, you know, he's he's you know, waging war with the media, he's waging war with the players on the ice, maybe take himself out of the game from an offensive standpoint. I think the Blues have a great opportunity as long as Schwartz or Riley, Shen, Tarasenko, as long as those guys are firing and scoring goals, I really believe the St. Louis will have a decent chance of winning the series. St. Louis depth, I think, offensively in their forward group can go toe-to-toe with Boston, even though Boston's top line is better. But, yeah, that is such a key component of this series, the um, mental strength of the Boston Bruins. Can they weather the storm here? Because I think, like you said, St. Louis is going to be throwing bodies. It could get ugly at different points in the series, considering how physical both of these teams play. So that's an exciting thing. And I was also looking, so these teams met twice in the regular season, like teams did do in the West versus the East. And I thought it was an interesting microcosm. So the St. Louis Blues won 2-1 in the shootout with Jordan Bennington in the net. And then earlier in the series, earlier in the season series, they lost with Jake Allen in the net. So that really shows how uh, how things have turned. We haven't seen Jake Allen in months now. With a shootout win and a and then with Jake Allen playing, you've got to just almost throw those out like it didn't even <laughs> like these teams haven't even played it right because yep. everything is so much different for both teams now. So we'll see. I, I do again just to, to put a bow on it. I do have Boston in seven, but I'm really excited. I think the old you know kind of old school hockey fans will love the physicality in this series, and then sort of the new generation of hockey fans that love the speed and skill that certainly will be on display too. And another guy I wanted to mention as an X factor as St. Louis's secondary scoring looks to tangle with Boston's loaded group. Robert Thomas continues to uh, make a name for himself here and uh, had great scoring chances. I think that that play was the that was the play of the game yesterday in game six when San Jose almost scored to tie the game at two in the second period and then Robert Thomas had a great move great rush drew a penalty which St. Louis then scored on less than a minute later. Uh, So yeah I thought that swung the momentum momentum of the game and I think we've seen it multiple times from Robert Thomas. He's another one of those guys that you look at from both of these teams as someone that you're just very excited to watch uh, in the years to come. Such a bright outlook for St. Louis, the fact that we are spending time talking about two rookies making a monster impact in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And actually one other storyline that we wanted to talk about, what is this impact with David Backus? Because that's a story we were talking about Joe Thornton playing maybe against the Boston Bruins, his former team. Backus now with the Bruins playing against St. Louis, who he played with and dug very deep with for many years in the postseason. Do you think that matchup is worth <laughs> watching here? I do. I think it, it is a, a subplot, if you will, but I, I am enjoy you know, I think the hardcore hockey fans will enjoy that one. This this style of play in terms of physicality will suit his nature well. 
but we can't overlook his production in the postseason. He was a big reason that they got through that Columbus team the way that they did Boston. So look at this matchup to be similar for him when he can make an impact with the body, but don't be surprised to see him pot one or two in front of the net as well. And that's a dangerous line when you look at his physical impact, even though he wasn't as good in the third round as he was in the second where he pretty much came to the rescue against the Blue Jackets, like you said. But yeah, I think DeBrusque has a higher ceiling. Backus could make a big impact in this series. And that all goes hand in hand with David Krejci, like I mentioned, who's arguably the most consistent point producer this postseason. So thank you all for listening throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. Reminder, you can subscribe for free to the program on iTunes. And if you've enjoyed the program, please leave us a review. And subscribe to the other podcasts here in the NHL Podcast Network, NHL Executive Suite, NHL Draft Class with Adam Kimmelman and Mike Morial with the draft in Vancouver just around the corner. And then we got a new one on the way with the great one himself. It's called The Great One-on-One with Wayne Gretzky himself. So check out the trailer for that first episode coming up soon. And for Rob Reese, Pete Jensen saying so long here on the Stanley Cup Final Preview Edition of NHL Fantasy on Ice. 